This is Seeds for Success, a show where we have a good yarn about ag life with producers who are having a go. On the show, you'll hear from farmers in New South Wales who are out there battling the elements, making tough calls and getting the job done. You'll get a laugh out of some of their stories and also pick up some know-how along the way. I'm your host, Narrowly Brennan. Today, we're catching up again with Georgia White at her property, Talbriga, near Coola. Now, you might remember Georgia from when we caught up with her in our last episode. And as she explained to us then, she had just scanned 179% in lamb and was launching herself headfirst into the challenging task of managing her ewe flock through to lambing. Well, we've been following Georgia's journey with interest and we caught up with her six months later to find out how she went. In today's episode, you'll hear that Georgia has learnt many valuable lessons from the importance of making timely decisions, fine-tuning her ewe nutrition and the nuances of paddock choice and aspect for lamb survival. And you'll also hear about the next big challenge Georgia is planning to tackle. Local Land Services District Vet Jill Kelly caught up with Georgia as she crunched the numbers and reflected on her results at the Talbriga kitchen table. I'm back here today at Talbriga with Georgia White. So you'll remember that I talked to Georgia earlier in the year pre-lambing about her incredible scanning results and the enormous job in front of her to manage all of those ewes that were pregnant and with a lot of them having multiple fetuses. So we're back after landmarking to see how it all went down. Driving in, I saw lots of ewes with twins at foot, so that looked good, but I'm very keen to hear all about it. Georgia, thanks for talking to me today. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for coming out all this way and having a look around. It's always nice to have other people come and see what you're doing. It sort of gives you a bit of validation, I guess, that maybe something you're doing is right. Yeah, I'm still amazed by how much feeds here. It's an awesome season, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's been unreal. We, we really haven't skipped a beat at all this year. Like since February, we just had 45 mils this week. We're nearly at 700 mils year to date. So Wow, what a turnaround. Uh, amazing. Considering our, like, you know, normal rainfall was around 600, but we wouldn't have had 600 mils all up in the past three years. So um, yeah. unbelievable. Amazing. Yeah. All right, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. How did lambing go? So the overall result is 139% marked to use joint. And so what was your potential? Potential was 180%. There is a, a significant amount of room for improvement there, but for I guess my first time coming home and having full control over everything. I'm pretty proud of how it all turned out. Obviously, I've got some really great success stories and then like some ones that I'm not so proud of or have had a big learning curve on. So Yeah. Well, tell me about your successes to start with. So I guess to break down that 139%, we had roughly a thousand ewes twin bearing. We had 185 triplet bearing and about 500 or 600 single bearing. So... And we only had about 40 scanned dry. There was a late ram and oh. uh, they're all popping out lambs right now. <laughs> right. So in reality, you could kick up the um, marking percentage a bit, but the official figure is 139. Okay, great. We've probably got another 30 lambs running around. <laughs> well, tell me about your singles to start with because 
there was lots of feed and we were a bit worried about them getting too fat. Yeah. Um, so How'd um, they go? So we starved them pretty much as much as I felt comfortable and it was a really hard thing to do. Like all you want to do when you've got that feed available is like go gangbusters, grow as much wool. It's just so hard to wind them back and everyone I spoke to was like, oh, you need to be winding them back. It's a bit dangerous and I probably went too hard. So we got just over. So Georgia's sitting here. She's got a laptop and a really cool spreadsheet in front of her with all of the paddocks, all the mobs, whether they're twins and singles, maidens, etc., and then the result and then factors which may have contributed to the result. So it's fascinating the, the information that she's collected. Yeah. So it was about 95% survival across the maidens and the mature age, mature age for singles. Wow, so you lost five percent. Yeah, that's, but so that's a good result. It is a good result, but it was ninety percent or ninety-one percent in the paddock, and what really kicked that up was I don't know if you remember I had forty or so odd ewes that I pushed way too hard in the pre-lambing, and I pulled them off pre-lamb drenching and put them in the feedlot, and they just had. I love, we've got their um, haystacks actually in our feedlot. I just opened up the haystack and so they were into whatever. There was cotton seed and loosened hay and horse hay and whatever they wanted, a bit of grain, pellets as well as ryegrass and, and everything that was growing in the feedlot. We lost none of those and had like 98% marking rate. And that's, that really kicked. That was a big successful story. So pulling off those ill, sick ones and lame ones really, really made a difference. That's a good learning lesson for next time too, I guess. Yeah. Interestingly, we did a trial, I don't know if you remember, on six-month shearing for twin-bearing ewes. Yes. I was going to ask you about that. Yes. I've got all the results for that. But So when they came through the yards, there was three that became lame of the Sean ewes. So I chucked them in the feedlot. And when lambing time came around, there was two that had three live lambs each. Wow. So they got missed at scanning time, but they were lame, they were in bad condition, and they still raise three lambs each. So amazing. Amazing. So a bit of good tucker and a bit of special treatment. I think maybe wonders. being lame, they couldn't walk away from, the sh- from their lambs. I think that might have been the only thing that <laughs> saved them there. Oh, good. So it was just all foot abscess from the being heavy and it being wet? Yeah, I think it was like a quick thing. So I don't know that it was foot abscess, but I think running through the yards on rocks maybe, maybe a foot abscess, maybe just sore. And swollen, or maybe they rolled, I don't know, but who knows? It healed up pretty quick. Ah, uh, good. All right, well, tell me about your next success story. So, the twin mature ewes averaged 84% survival. So, I think that for merino, straight merino ewes, that is pretty, uh, I'm pretty proud of that. That is where they really picked up and, and shone the brightest this year. Yeah. Great. And so tell me what you did to get that. What do you attribute that success to? So we split them up into the bit largest mob we had for twins was 80 and the smallest was about 46 or something like that. So we split them up into very small mobs. I think the lowest actual marking percentage we got out of a mob was about 165 or something. So there was two mobs that did 173%, which is... 88%, 88%, so nearly 90% survival in two of the twin mobs. Unbelievable. That's and, incredible. And um, those were the two smallest paddocks that we had. So learned something there is that even though we had smaller mobs, the smallest paddock size helped. Yeah, okay. 
that's really interesting to take home as well. Yeah, because a lot of the study says that actually smaller paddock size doesn't matter. Yeah, stocking rate doesn't matter, just the small mob size, but it has had an impact here. I guess the next thing would be is repeating that in a few years' time. Yeah, it may have helped the bulk of feed you had. There was still plenty of privacy spaces for used to lamb, do you think, because of the bulk of feed and the the part of feed? Yeah, I guess like – in saying that, there was still only 50 ewes or 60 ewes in, in two hectares. So it's it's not very high stocking rates. But they did run out of feed right at the end. We had to <laughs> let them out. But, yeah. Yeah, great. And then what about your triplets? Because I know that triplets are hard to manage. How did they go? So we actually ran an official trial with Jason Tromf, which we talked about in the last podcast. Half of them were... condition score, I think, and half were 3.5 condition score. I can't remember, but it was 0.3 of a condition score difference between them in the end. They started the same and then we held one mob back and kept one mob the same. And then we put them out. I thought I selected normal paddocks that were all similar. It was one paddock that had been split into four, but, I mean, the paddock sizes were like 60 hectares each, so pretty big paddock sizes for 40 sheep. So you had those triplets that were just 0.3 of a condition score different. How did they yeah. go? We had them evenly spread across the aspects. There was one thin, that's the technical term. <laughs> Everybody in podcast land will understand what you're talking about. <laughs> like either side of the aspect. They lambed down and we didn't really disturb them very much because they were a little bit flighty and every time we sort of went near you know, within a kilometre with the binoculars, you could see them starting to move off already. So we had really no idea what was going to go on. We did lose a few sheep. When I did finally get in there to see there were a few um, dead sheep on the ground that you could see that they'd had a live lamb and then they'd got stuck on the second lamb and then passed away. And I think that those were the lesser condition score ones. We'll have to find out when Jason does the analysis to actually which ones died and what condition score they were in. But There were some that were quite low condition going in, in the lower condition score mobs, and that's I think that's where we had our losses, you know, running out of steam halfway through the process. Yeah, just not enough energy to contract and push and get that uterus to work. They get one out. So they had one sitting next to them and and it it was sad to look at, but also, you know, it's good to see that that's what's killing them instead of something else, I guess. Yeah, that's right. So what were your overall triplet results? So we had really varied results. So the condition score was not, we couldn't tell the difference because the aspect really skewed things. And so the aspect you mean is paddock selection? Yeah, so paddock selection. So these are like heavily sloped paddocks, steep, classified as steep paddocks. They had, you know, about 3,000 kilos or 4,000 kilos of legume and ryegrass, really good quality pasture. I thought it was going to be great. The paddock I thought was going to be the best was the worst. So it had 40% lamb survival and it was south-facing aspect, but it had the best feed quality and the best shelter. Yeah, so you think it was just, no, well, I suppose you can't really tell what that was. It wasn't that it was colder if it had really good shelter. I just think it didn't get that northern, it just didn't get the sun. So on the other side of the aspect, the fatter ones were better. So the three and a half to four condition score Lambs had 58% survival, which equates to about 174 lambs marked. For triplets, for merino triplets, merino to merino, I think that's very acceptable. If I could get all of my mobs to lamb at that, I'd be very happy. The worst mob was only 120%. That was the fat mob. 
So the fat had the best and the worst. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and the aspect was the difference. And then the best mob was north facing, but there was no shelter and they lambed on a rocky knob really high up on the place and they didn't move the whole time and I think that's the real kicker there is that they didn't walk away from the lambs whereas the other mobs you could see them grazing around the paddock and they might just leave one lamb behind on accident even though it's a week old or something it just might not follow them and then it get lost and and, and that's what I saw the lamb losses from. Yeah. So yeah. I guess moral of the story, Jason's going to analyse that data and he's got a lot of other trial sites but there's a lot more to know about lambing triplet use than what oh we currently God. know about. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's something that you just have to like do yourself because you're not going to have that lifetime new management, you know, piece of paper that tells you exactly what to do for another, you know, could be five to ten years. Like you have to really think about how it's going to work on your place. So next year, for example, there's another local farmer, James Armstrong. He lambed his triplets. Mind you, he didn't have quite the same amount as we did, but... He lambed them down in his feedlot with 10 per pen and he's had over 200% marking. So oh, wow. exceptional for merino, straight and merino lambs. Gee, it's good that you guys are sharing that information, that he's told you that and you've told him your results. And yeah, well, we share everything with him and, and he shares everything with us and we have a really good relationship with him. But being able to learn that and be like, well, what he's done has obviously worked so, and what we've done has to somewhat worked. So we had a lot less ewe deaths than what we could have had. So I can't remember the exact terms, so don't, you know, this isn't gospel, but I think it was about on average people that he interviewed were claiming that managed triplet ewes separately in merinos were getting twenty up to 20% ewe death or 25% ewe death, which is substantial, and only marking about 120 or 110%. So we're still well above that with what we've achieved. So we only had, I think, 11% ewe death. So that's like quite low. And Yeah, that's great because you were definitely worried about that going in. Yeah, that's the, the main thing that we were worried about was that we'd just lose them all. Obviously having them in better condition helped that because we didn't end up with the foot problems that we thought. And you probably would have had a much poorer result had you not identified those triplets, just run them in with the twins you wouldn't have really recognised what was happening with those girls, but they would have been a substantially higher loss. Yeah, you would have had huge losses and you would have been going, what have I done wrong here? Because they've been babied the whole way through. Closely monitoring them and knowing what's going on has really helped me in in planning. Like I'm completely changing it up next year. It's going to be all in feedlots or all in sort of more like a piggery style, I guess, set up where they'll be mobs of 10 or 15 and, you know, have – really small confined spaces and hand feeding, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll, we'll have to book in another <laughs> podcast session before and after that as well. How exciting. Might not get any triplets, hopefully. <laughs> Let's pray. Yeah, you definitely, you, you need a midwife's uniform to run around and look <laughs> yeah. after all these babies. Yeah, look, definitely hoping that we're not going to get, and I don't think we will, I think this will be a one-off that we'll get such high triplet percentages yeah, it was the year for it, the wasn't year it? year for it. I think, you know, it'll be back down to more like 50 tripleting ewes next year. I think, I hope, I well, pray. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. Not 200, please. <laughs> now, last time I visited, you had some shorn and some unshorn twinners. So we're non-mules. We're, on, you know, three years or four years into non-mules. And I know a lot of people have done the transition and done it well. We are not doing it well, <laughs> I guess. We're, we're trying really hard 
to keep the wool on our sheep but also have, you know, more plain type sheep, also not have fly but also, you know, not crutch 17 times a year and not put on excessive amounts of chemical. So we're, we're testing out six months shearing. The wool was sitting in the shed for ages. We just got it tested and sold. It sold well, but we we were only just 60 mils. So we've got a bit of work there to get the length a bit longer. So the trial was all about does six-month shearing increase the productivity of the twin ewes at lambing time. We're going to get them in next week to wean. So we didn't end up weaning this week because of the wet weather, but that'll be the final thing with condition score and weaning weights and, and stuff. So we've got the marking percentages. So there wasn't a huge difference in marking rate. So it was the lamps marked for both mobs was exactly identical. Was it? <laughs> but there was more sheep. So there was 258 lambs. So there was four mobs. Two of them were shorn and two of them were had six months or seven months worth of wool on them. So the, there was 258 lambs in in like all up from both mobs but the marking percent was there was a three percent increase in the shorn ones I think that's within a margin of error I I, I don't think you can pick anything out of that that could just be paddock selection even though they were pretty even paddocks it could just be whatever so not much difference between not much difference yeah immortality the same fetus survival one one and a half percent increase so not that much here's the kicker 1.6 kilos heavier at marking the lambs were. In which mob? In the shorn. In the shorn. In the shorn. And so I think I worked that out. It's like something like a, a 15% increase. That, that's substantial. And then, uh, again, the condition score was 0.3 of a condition score increase in the shorn use. Right. Yeah, it was less breech wrinkle. I don't know why. Heavier lambs and better condition use. So I can see that in maybe a season that's not as amazing as this, that would be really helpful having the ewes be embedded in it coming out of lambing. Do you think that is just because they get a bit of a growth spurt after shearing and they channel more energy into milk production? I think so. I also think that maybe, you know, that just better access to the udder. Yeah. You know, not as much wool, not as much burr hanging off them. Maybe it's just a nicer experience. I think the ewes condition is better because they're carrying less weight and these were steep paddocks. So if they're walking up and down the paddock, you know, they don't have five kilos or 10 kilos when it rains, then that's really, you know, going to help them. I can see that when, while we've had results in a good season, I reckon it would be much more, there'll be a much more difference in, a, in a dry season. Yeah. yeah. And I know that a lot of people have done these trials in other places and found that, you know, there has been that two kilo heavier lambs. And that makes a big difference to survivability and how they do post-weaning, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're going to wean. So if that two kilos turns into four kilos, so maybe they're the ones at 34 kilos and 38 kilos. Like that's it's massive. huge. Mm, that's absolutely. like a month's worth of growth that you have to catch up. Like, yeah. I know you were worried about foot abscess. Did you battle much with foot abscess? Not at all. Oh, so all our preparations in that regard were... <laughs> not all that stress like I guess there there could be 10 sheep out of the whole place that have some sort of lameness like not even sure it's foot abscess probably just sore leg yeah and that's pretty common on on most (laughs) places but do you think that that was because you just thought about it so well you had your body condition score managed really well and you selected good paddocks I think so but also I think maybe it wasn't going to happen anyway and we're Mm. worrying about nothing Okay. 
yeah. I don't think we did anything particularly well there. I L- think it just happened. Ha- just <laughs> I think we just didn't have problems with it. Sometimes the planets just align. Um, we didn't have. We had a wet winter, but it wasn't soggy and mushy like we thought it was going to be. So having really good grass cover meant that you know it sort of filtered. There was no spots in paddocks that were just mush. Yeah. And so uh, the thing about that I noticed about your country is a beautiful lush feed. It's warm. It's humid. You've had some rain lately. How's mm. the fly burden going now? It's really hitting us hard now. We, we've, um, yeah, we've spent the past few weeks sort of. I've been having a few sleepless nights, thinking, you know, if you see one one uh, fly blown sheep one day, you come back the next day and there's five, you're like, oh my god, it's just happening so quick. But we have been doing things. You know, we've we've got everything and we've crutched all the young sheep. But checks every two days on every mob and lots of paddock treating and stuff. But I guess this is the season for it. It is hot and wet and they've got plenty of wool on them and they've been, you know, some sheep have been on loosen and, you know, really sort of dagging up a little bit and they're non-mulesed and they're young and they've got two lambs on them and it's just a recipe for disaster. But I think it would be under 100 that we've treated this season and I don't think we've lost any. Oh, we've lost one. We lost one today, unfortunately, which happens. I don't think many farmers could say they don't lose one yeah, to, exactly to fly. Right. Especially in a season like this. In a season like this. Our climate is it is a humid climate at this time of year if you get rain and there's lots of flies about. But yeah, under a hundred, so I don't know as a percentage, it's five percent, I think, of the flock. That's large and we're really working on it. But if this is the worst season we get and it's only five percent, we can live with that. Even if we're trying to get keep going and be better. Yeah. But Absolutely. if this is the worst it's gonna be, then that's okay. <laughs> so tell me about some other you mentioned you had some disasters and you've got some kind of little anomalies that I think yeah. you'd like to tell me about. What you would expect. Our four worst survival in the twin ewes was in the maidens. So we had four mobs of maiden twinners and they were the four worst. But in saying that, the, uh, so there was one that was I was really disappointed in and that was at 56% survival for maidens. So that equated to 112% lamps mark to the ewes that went in and they were in a paddock that had the alpacas so <laughs> so these are some alpacas that got bought off Gumtree. is that right I, I don't know where dad got them but they arrived anyway right they're interesting I think we they're quite old they'd be you know nearly 10 I think so I think they're pretty well in their ways I didn't see it happen but I assume that they just pestered the maidens while they were lambing or, or something and made them, you know, maybe not as keen to mother back up with their lambs or maybe they just wanted to get out of the way or something. But so the paddock immediately next door on the same aspect, same paddock just had a fence put through the middle of it. It had 74% survival, so wow, 148% so- lambs marked. So that's very – I find that quite acceptable, quite a good – result even though it was less than the mature you the worst of the mature use but it's still quite an acceptable result so I think the only difference is the alpacas the alpacas so they're <laughs> back for sale again <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe they'll just come and live around the house or something <laughs> they've been you know friendly I've, I've shown them a few times we're, we're close <laughs> we have a rapport but maybe they don't go with the maiden twinners next year <laughs> 
Yeah, you're sacked, guys. So, yeah, so our maidens really, that's our big room for improvement other than the triplet management. And how will you deal with those maidens? Will you wet and dry them and cull or will you give them another chance? Or We've wet and dried them. There wasn't that many dry. So I think what it is is they've just dropped one lamb. Most of them have dropped one lamb. Yeah, anything that's dry is going to be sold on the box. They'll do well with someone else's management, I'm sure. I, I think we can go easy on those ones that underperformed this year because of the alpacas. If they underperform, I know which ones they are. If they underperform again next year, then something else is afoot. I think that was just me being lazy and not getting the alpacas out of the paddock before they went in. And just from a recording point of view, how do you keep your eye on which one those are? Did you notch their tag or have they got an EID in or how All did you? All of our ewes have EID. Great. So, yeah, and, and from next year we'll be marking every, all ewe lambs with EID at, at lamb marking. Because at the moment we do it when we class them in. But next year we'll be joining a 1,000 ewe lambs. So all of the lambs that we've just marked, two-thirds of the lambs that we've marked this year are going to be joined as seven- to eight-month-old next year as a part of another trial with Jason. So done a small amount of them this year. I haven't marked them yet, but I'm fairly certain that it's going to be better than that maidens performed this year. So that may take away some of that issues that we have with the maidens if we can get them with you know good mothering abilities at a young age I feel like you may not have that problem with them as a two-year-old but I oh guess, well that'll be an interesting one to watch as well yeah I guess getting them pregnant the second time around is going to be the thing to watch um, and their lifetime performance and their progeny's lifetime performance mm. because there are a lot of studies that are saying that it's you know, there's 400 grams less wool produced per year, like not over a life. That's, you know, that's pretty significant, less wool, but but you get that extra lamb, I guess. Yeah, you've got to weigh that up, don't you? I think people that have a lot more knowledge about it have done the sums and it does work out in your favour to join new lambs if you do it well. And what time of year are you going to join those new lambs? Will it be in line with everything else or are you going to do it at a different yeah. time of year? So it'll be after the main news. So we join for five weeks. We join the 1st of March for five weeks and then the ewe lambs will be straight after. But we're going to double up on the ram team because you're supposed to join at 3% or something. Like you're not going to buy 30 rams to join thousand years. So we're going to have 10 fresh rams for them, just for them. They'll go in and then the whole ram team from, from all the old mature ewes is going to go in with them as well. That's for Jace to plan. There's lots of things we'll be doing with like feeding them lupins and stuff to see, you know, if that, I don't know what we're going to be doing, but it's going to be interesting. Yes, absolutely. Any other mobs that you want to tell me about with your lambing results? Two best mobs were on the main road, on the bitumen. <laughs> oh man, none of your, none of your trial results follow the rule book. And I this know. is, welcome to agriculture. I know, I know. Like, just why? I guess maybe that they're not fussed by anything. Maybe they're used to it and so everything, they're numb. Who knows? Yeah, the things that you notice when you actually um, record stuff and take note of it, you you know, you've started young. (laughs) A farmer told me the other day that you only get 30 growing seasons as a farmer on average. You've started young, so you're going to get a few more than (laughs) that. So I want to come talk to you when you've got like 30 or 40 years of data recorded. So Georgia... In summary, you've done a pretty great job, I reckon. Tell me just briefly what are things that you've learnt and that you're going to do again? I didn't have any difference going from 70 in a mob to like 50 in a mob, say. So I just feel like that maybe 
you know, you can get squeezed, have a few less paddocks. This is for twin. So I think maybe I went a bit extreme, but we had the paddocks and I thought, why not? But there wasn't really any difference, you know. The, the better mobs were at that 70. We had some at 80 or 90 and, and they were a little bit less, but but still very acceptable, like 2% less. So And that might really. just cut down on a bit of workload, checking. Yeah, cut paddocks. down on workload, like arranging paddocks, keeping the electrics going, you know. And we lamped all of our ewes down with our water this year and I don't think you can get away with that any other year. We were lucky in that way, but you can't have – I think we had nearly 60 lambing paddocks or something like this. Ridiculous. Did you, you sleep at all during that period? <laughs> well, they, I just set and forget. <laughs> set and forget. You can't go near them. I tried. Yeah. All you want to do is go and have a look, but then you do and you make more problems. So, mm. But they were fine. They, didn't, they weren't even thirsty when they came in for landmarking, yeah. like really. After landmarking, obviously, they all went on to water um, immediately because that's a bit more of a stressful thing and they start to get – but we had none that were thirsty or anything. I mean, they're eating grass that's 90% water. Mm. So – and and the rain and the dew. Yeah, next year we're not going to have the same exact season. You can't do that. So having mobs of 100 instead of 50, you have half the amount of watering points that you need to have available. Yeah. Yeah, great. What some things that you just wouldn't do again? Did you have any bugger-ups and things you wouldn't repeat? Yeah. I guess I wouldn't put triplets out in big paddocks, even though there were only 45 head per paddock. I want to have them, you know, around the house and stuff pre-lambing for months so that they're used to cars and they're used to me coming and saying hello or they're used to the dogs. Like we had our ewe lambs, pregnant ewe lambs, they were coming and grazing like around the dog cages and used to that yapping and and that meant that I could walk into the paddock and be like 10 metres away or five metres away from them and they've just lambed and they'd just be like, oh, hey, Georgia, what are you doing, you know? Yeah, chilled. <laughs> Look at my baby. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like they're, they're lambing next to my house, so that's great. I just like every morning I just go for a lap around and thank God we didn't have any problems. But I guess I'd want my triplets to be that quiet so I, I maybe if there's something that disturbs them, they can – they're just like, oh, that's chill, whatever. Mm. We've seen it before. I'll still stay here with my lambs. Yeah. I don't have to worry about it. Foxes aren't trying to eat me. They're just trying to eat my baby. <laughs> <laughs> yep, they're scared of sheep. Stand your ground, girl. Yeah, yep, stand your ground. And just having them in small paddocks. I, I think, I mean, a lot of people that know a lot more about it might tell you different, but this is my experience from the one year that I've done it. Yeah, in so, your environment too. So Yeah, I mean, you can't compare... I don't really know many people around here that have separately managed their triplets. Like this is the first year people are even talking about it up here, mm. really. So when you're 23 and you don't have anyone to ask, you've got to try things. So And we're never lambing in that bad paddock ever again. So I had two bad lambings. I had an autumn lambing that was really bad and now the triplets that was really bad. And I thought it was going to be the best paddock. So it's got a big red mark on it. Right. You'd be oh. the six-year-old singles. <laughs> is there any where in the background your dad or your mum sit and saying, hmm, we told you so, Georgia? Or are they just really proud that you've that you've nailed this? I th- well, I, I haven't nailed it, let's say that. I got Well, very- you've managed it. You're through <laughs> the other side. I'm through the other side. I think they're sort of going, thank God it wasn't me wearing all that. And I think even if they were thinking maybe you should have listened to me, they wouldn't say it because they would know the reaction that they would get. (laughs) But um, definitely I think the water thing was a bit ballsy and I got away with it but 
I wouldn't get away with it any other season, not having water in paddocks when they've got two or three lambs. Oh, actually, the triplets had water, but they didn't go to it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well done for taking a risk, Georgia. I think you've done an exceptional job and I've been very privileged to watch it happen and, and ask you lots of questions about it. Oh, well, thank you so much for, you know, sort of guiding us all and, and, and offering your wisdom and uh, helping us stress about the feed issues, even though we didn't have any. Yeah, I was totally <laughs> wrong. <laughs> you were causing the panic. <laughs> no, um, I'm just so lucky. I've had people like Jenny Bradley, shout out to Jenny for, you know, offering a few pearls of wisdom. And obviously, Jason Triumph has been like God, you know, sitting over, oh, just pulling the, strings, <laughs> pulling the strings saying, yeah, Georgia, you know what would be a good idea? And then me being able to be like, hey, dad, you know, this idea that I came up with all by myself. <laughs> no, it's been great because it's it means that it's not me just, you know, thinking things up, I guess. It's someone else that's yeah, been doing it. you've got a team it. behind you. I've got a team behind me. I've got, you know, you, Jenny and Jason and mum and dad and, you know, my grandpa who's been farming here for ages. Everyone's offering pearls of wisdom so you could pick and choose. Most of the time it works out. So you've got a new approach for joining your triplets next year. You're not going to join them to Merinos, those triplet-bearing ewes? Yeah, so I, I'm not, you know, recommending to anyone that you should chase triplets specifically in Merino, straight Merino lines. It's very hard work. It's hard on your sheep and you're not going to get better than your twins' results without a huge amount of inputs, labour, you know, fencing, that kind of thing. It's just really not worth your time. So even though at the moment they're saying it's lowly heritable and highly repeatable, we don't really want that fertility coming through with the merinos. We don't want our, you know, hoggets and ewe lambs coming through and being that highly fertile just because we don't have the survivability. It's great in composites and crossbreds when they are great mothers and they have that great survival, but we just can't do it, especially not in our system here in the hills. It's not, yeah. Anyway, so we're going to be joining them to borders along with, you know, anything that's a little bit complicated or not really suited to non-mules. So we'll be joining them to borders. Hopefully you'll have a bit more lamb survivability because there'll be bigger lambs and and you won't have that fertility coming through in the uh, progeny, hopefully. Yeah, well, that's a good strategy. Yeah, you've put some thought into that and got some advice and worked that out. That's really I'm, cool. I'm not a geneticist, so I don't know what the, what will actually happen, but we just want to rule that out, really. Yeah, and you told me last time that historically you had bred for fertility for a long time. Yeah, so we have bred for fertility for a very long time, like since my grandpa started the Merino flock up. So, like, it's been something that has been targeted here for ages and ages, but that's fine if you get twins. <laughs> and maybe it's only just the advent of scanning and the adoption of scanning, mm. particularly for, you know, not just twins but triplets and quads, that you've it's dawned on you that, well, they're not just fertile, they're having triplets. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. So I, I think a lot of people have been saying that if you're getting over about 160 scanning rates, you have triplets for sure. Yeah. So we've been getting over 160 percent scanning for years and years and years and and obviously triplets as well but not managing them separately and I'm sure that's you know a lot of amazing producing ewes might have died because of we're not you know identifying them properly but now that we've done it we can treat them well join them to borders so we get the survivability up and also knowing which are their progeny 
because in the past we haven't known which of their progeny and they might have been classed out because they were born born and raised a triplet and that's not their own fault. Yeah, know? that's right. They just got a third of the milk they should have got. Yeah. So things must have gone pretty well, Georgia, because you're not taking a backwards <laughs> step, are you? You're going even more into sheep in a big way next year. Yeah, so like I said, so we're joining the uh, 1,000 ewe lambs. So that along with 900 of the hoggets that we have, that's going to double our joining numbers from this year to next year. So that has meant that obviously we've had to go and buy double the rams, which has been an expensive treat this year as everyone would know that's been buying rams. People are averaging three grand just for your run-of-the-mill. That has been expensive, but I think – we did the Psalms. I sat down and I said, look, Dad, if you want to take advantage of this feed that we've got. So we've got a full moisture profile. We've got feed. We know we're going to be right next year for lambing. Let's join everything <laughs> we can. Cool. And how did you go about buying your rams? Did you actually get to go and select them? Yeah. So I selected some from New Armatry, some borders to start with our border venture and went and purchased them. That was the most competitive auction I've ever been to for rams. It went off. It was totally congratulations to them. It was an amazing sale. They should be very proud of it. And then Castles Park Merinos for our bloodlines have been for 20 years or so. So we went and purchased our rams there. I think we, we went to the sale and there was another bloke that local who buys there and he comes over and he said, Georgia, how many are you buying today? I was like, oh, you know, about, about 10 or 11. How many are you buying today? <laughs> Oh, 16. So, oh, that's like half the sale between two people and there was 16 registered to buy. So that was competitive as well. But, you know, we, we got the rams we wanted, but we did have to pay for them. And then we purchased some rams down. We, we sort of ran out of sales in New South Wales for borders and we needed a few more. So we went down to South Australia and Jason picked out a few and bought them for us there and he did an amazing job. Ended up getting some really good quality genetics for under the sale average. So I don't know how he did it, but he did a great job there. Fantastic. Well, that sure shows the promise in the sheep industry, doesn't it? That oh, everyone's so confident, even though the wool – I mean, the wool market's just come back, but it was a bit depressing for a while there. Mm. Well, here's to 2021. Can't wait to see, Georgia, another new set of circumstances and another new way of approaching it. I'm sure you will learn a lot. Yep, here's to 2021. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Central West Local Land Services. Local Land Services delivers advice and support to farmers, landholders and the community across New South Wales. To learn more, you can find us online by searching for Central West Local Land Services. If you'd like more information about the topics we discussed today, as well as links to relevant articles, fact sheets, events and other helpful resources, we've added those into the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. Hey, and while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other farmers find the show. I'm your host, Narrily Brennan, and I'll chat to you next time.